Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that this is the week where guys only come back from injury. I know it's a pipe dream. It's not a thing that actually happens in reality. Someone's always going to get hurt. But I hope this is the week where mostly guys come back from injury and we don't see too many more. I'd love a zero in that column, but too many more go down. Welcome one, welcome all to Fantasy NBA Today. It's a Sports Ethos presentation. I'm your host, Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris on Twitter. I think most of you that are listening or watching this show these days probably already know where I'm at on social media, but come hang out with me over there. We do uh, an awful lot of stuff. And actually, right as we're going on air, we got a Kevin Durant update. So I guess we might as well start the show with that. KD, and this is a Shams tweet. I'm just going to read it verbatim here. Kevin Durant is making progress in his recovery from MCL sprained as planned and will be reevaluated again in two weeks. So, all right, I mean, that's kind of what we expected. There was almost never a chance that he was going to be back in two weeks from an MCL sprain. Uh, But at least things are apparently going according to plan. My hope, and I don't know that, I mean, this this may end up dragging out to six weeks when all is said and done, but my hope is that in another two weeks, which would be right around the trade deadline, we get a report on KD. That'll be two days before the deadline, actually. We get a report on KD that's like, hey, he's doing really well, uh, and we we'll hope to have him back within the next week. That's my hope. So, like, between four and five weeks is is the target that I'm hoping for. Six would be a lot like last year, I guess. And honestly, six would be kind of tough. That's a long absence. That's basically what the Anthony Davis absence is looking like because he's probably going to be back at some point later this week. So that's the uh, the Kevin Durant update, which is kind of a no update, but at least things haven't gone the wrong direction with him. Today is all about dudes coming back. But we don't have any, I don't have any big overarching thoughts on this stuff. So why don't we just launch straight headlong into a Monday recap, and I'll, I'll pause briefly on the two main names, uh, which you guys already know. Jonathan Isaac and Chris Middleton each made their return on Monday night. Played limited minutes. No no surprise there. Middleton was 15 minutes and 19 seconds. Jonathan Isaac was supposed to be between 8 and 10 minutes. They pushed him up near the 10-minute mark. He actually looked surprisingly good. So let's just start with that one. First of all, Orlando coming out of nowhere to beat a Boston Celtics team. That admittedly is a little bit shorthanded. Celtics were without Robert Williams. They actually listed Williams out as injury management for this game, which... Honestly, that's a really big relief because that means he might play in their next ball game, which is tonight. So we might get Robert Williams back with only one game off for his, I guess what we're going to refer to as a very, very mild hyperextension of his knee. So apparently not doing all that poorly. Maybe he's in, maybe he's out. I don't know that that's going to happen. But again, the fact that they didn't list him out for the knee hyperextension and instead listed it as injury management, I thought was a good little tidbit uh, no Marcus Smart in that ball game either. Jason Tatum left holding his ribs briefly, but he did come back and played 38 minutes, so apparently he was fine. 
things went generally according to plan. Um, Al Horford, I was hoping for just a little bit more there, like maybe a blocked shot. But honestly, this the Celtics as a team really didn't have a particularly good fantasy game, so I'm not super worried about it. Uh, Grant Williams, what do we get out of him? Eh, I mean, he's it's just not that exciting fantasy-wise. Derek White is the play, with Malcolm Brogdon also out due to personal reasons, so he could be back in the next one. But still, even just Marcus Smart being out, for me at least is enough to get Derek White into my lineup. That's enough. He really just needs one guard out in front. And, you know, White didn't play a ton of minutes yesterday. Peyton Pritchard played 31 off the bench. The units he was a part of were just doing a little better for Boston. But a lot of that came down to kind of the starters units versus other ones. The Jalen Brown mixture teams were getting throttled for whatever reason. Uh, Overall... Derek White, hang on to him, I would think, for basically the duration of Marcus Smart's injury. It'll it'll be a little up and down, but he's a guard that can block shots. He's an across-the-board fantasy producer, and that makes him really interesting. But I know what you guys are thinking. Dan, would you please hurry up and frickin' talk about Jonathan Isaac? So, yeah, I will. Um, J.I. looked really, really good in yesterday's ballgame. Um, but there's, there's a few pieces of this piece. Number one is that he didn't really take minutes away from the regulars. Paolo Boncaro still got his 36, Wanda Carter Jr. 33, Franz 33, Fultz 32. That was all fine. The minutes appear to be at least, and again, you know, Isaac only played 10 minutes in this game, so it's hard to make a huge read on it, but they appear to be largely coming you know, one here, one there, one here, one there kind of thing. And they're just sort of plucking minutes from different players. And that's how they're going to pull it all together. Maybe two minutes from Bull Bull and a couple from Mo Wagner and a few from Gary Harris. And then other guys like a Terrence Ross didn't even get into the ball game. So you're going to see them pulling from these guys. And my assumption is that as Isaac very slowly gets ramped up, it's going to be a, an extraordinarily slow process. Like, this was 8 to 10 minutes, and he was sucking wind. Next one's going to be like 12, 14. It'll probably go up by like a minute, basically, every ball game. So that's why when I was talking about him on, on recent shows and even over on social media, I was like, look, you, you basically have to assume with Isaac that even once he makes his return you're still stashing another three weeks, another nine to ten ball games until he's up to a number of minutes that you can kind of trust him to throw him into a lineup. This is on the roto side. On the head-to-head side, he was never an ad. It's going to be too hard because you can't leave him in an IL slot right now, and he's going to be playing 11 minutes, and you're like, but Dan, in 10 minutes yesterday... He had 10 points, 3 boards, 2 steals, and 2 three-pointers. And to that I would say, yes. Everything that I saw on Isaac last night was a huge, huge positive. I don't want to take anything away from that. However, I want to remind you guys of something we just saw 4 days ago with Cam Johnson. Or was that 5 now? It doesn't matter. Cam Johnson came back and looked like a freaking tornado his first game out of the shoot. Second game back, they took it off, first of all. He didn't play in it. Third game back, he looked slow. He looked rusty. Because that's how this whole thing works. 
when guys come back from significant injury, and I would classify both Jonathan Isaac and Chris Middleton as guys coming back from significant injury. Now, obviously, with Isaac, it was a hell of a lot longer. 900 days, by the way, between games for J.I., and I know, like, there's all this personal stuff with Isaac. Please try to just push that aside while we talk about this from a fantasy standpoint. Difficult though it may be, let's just try to try our best to not worry about that. I don't care if you're rooting for him. I don't care if you're rooting against him. We're looking at this from a pure number standpoint. These are big injuries. When guys come back from huge injuries, adrenaline tends to power them that first game back. Because yes, Isaac and Middleton both did some stuff with their G League affiliate. Isaac actually played in G League games. By the way, every time I say G League, I think of that uh, J-Lo and and Ben Affleck movie. I know, yeah, I know. I'm going to try to really pronounce the G at the end of League going forward. That doesn't really get the adrenaline pumping. A G League game to an NBA player, and I mean this with all the respect in the world, but to an NBA player in the G League, that's a practice game. That's an exhibition for them. The the juices are not pumping. The heart rate gets up. It's like an exercise. It's like a workout, basically, where someone's trying a little bit harder to stop you. But just from like a size and power and speed standpoint, it's a workout. It's not a true game. So then you throw them into the real thing. And for Isaac, I think this is probably a bigger thing than it was for Middleton. But you throw them into the real thing now. And for J.I., you have the adrenaline. You have the big crowd. First big crowd he's played in front of in 900 days. That pretty much just lifts you. Like you're floating. He floated for 10 minutes. Well, guess what? It doesn't work that way every ballgame. By the second, third game back, typically you start to see these types of the recoveries. Guys go boop, up, and then... And they kind of start the recovery process in their second game back. Now, with Isaac, we know that he is also a permanent monster. So I don't want to try to have this come off as like, oh, he's going to turn into a total pumpkin in his next ball game, But I don't think he's going to have a 37 usage rate every game here during his recovery. So he's probably not going to get almost a shot a minute. Might he get a defensive stat in his time out there? Yeah, probably. I mean, that's what he does. Might he hit a three-pointer? Yeah, I mean, that's a reasonable opportunity for him. But it's not going to be this. You know, he's not going to get 10-3 and two steals or two threes every nine minutes he plays. When he's at 18 minutes, he's not going to average 20 points and four steals. So just understand that this was the peak, and then you're going to come down, and it's going to be that slow, more linear incline for both of these guys. So let's talk actually a little bit about Chris Middleton while we're kind of in this mode. Um, sorry, last thing on a, on Jonathan Isaac. I, I, I stand by everything that I've said about him in the past. Roto Games Cap Leagues, he makes a ton of sense as a stash. Keeper Leagues, he's a, as a massive, makes a ton of sense as a stash. Head-to-head leagues, I don't think you can do it. Middleton is a little bit of a different beast because, for one, he was only out for whatever it was, a month, about a month, a little over a month, I think, with this last one. It's been a uh, fits-and-starts kind of season for Middleton, 
because he came in with an injury that the Bucks they didn't necessarily lie to us about it per se, but they were uh, a bit disingenuous. This is probably the best way I could put it in his recovery coming into the season because they kind of said nothing about him until about like three days before the year started. And then they said, oh, by the way, Middleton's not going to be ready to start the year. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. You know, we'll see him in a week, whatever it is. Six weeks later, tries to play, doesn't work. He basically hasn't played at all this year, but he's been uh, kind of rubbing up against being ready to play a few times this season. So they'll bring him along a little bit faster than Isaac. Uh, and the other thing you saw with Middleton is that he didn't have the adrenaline bump game back. Because he wasn't out long enough, and because playing in front of a crowd wasn't that unique to him. It wasn't like a full year recovery. He played in front of a crowd in December, I think. Didn't he play a game in December? Pretty sure he played like two games in December. Doesn't matter. Either way, it wasn't that long ago. So you got the rusty game from Middleton right out of the chute here. Eight points, four assists. That's not bad. Six turnovers in 15 minutes. Luckily, this was a perfect game to get him back in there because it was a cakewalk against a tanking Pistons team. He'll move his, himself up probably where with Isaac, you might literally see Isaac increase his playing time by roughly one to two minutes per ball game, starting at nine. So it could be a little while. With Middleton, even if you went two minutes per ball game, he gets into the low 20s by next week. I think he gets into the low 20s by later this week, frankly. Uh, and I think he's in the mid-20s by le by next week, which is more than enough to start him. Because with Middleton, historically, he's a top 40 range fantasy play in his normal allotment of minutes. He was number 41 last year in 32 minutes per ballgame. The beauty of a guy like Middleton, for one, he only shot 44% last year. That's a number we've actually seen get higher for him. I don't want to expect it coming off of all of this injury, but it's a possibility. The real key is, even if you adjusted his minutes down and say, look, by next week, maybe he's playing in, by the end of this week, let's say he's playing 24 minutes a ball game. 24 minutes is 75% of 32. But I don't think all of his stats would drop off by a full 25%, because for a lot of NBA players, you know, the difference between a six-minute stint per quarter and an eight-minute stint per quarter is, oh, if I'm only in for six minutes, I can actually do a little bit more. I can go higher usage in my six minutes than I did in my eight because I got to just, I got to save myself a little bit more. Is there a drop-off? Of course there's a drop-off. 24 minutes is a lot less than 32. You're not going to get as many rebounds because uh, that's more of a, I need to be on the court to get these things. It's not going to just, it's not going to go with usage. Uh, so rebounds might be the thing that would drop off by 25%. Steals uh, would probably drop off by 25% as well. Um, but things like points, assists, turnovers, that might come down by more like 15%. Which again, with Middleton, when you're, f when you're ranked 40th, if you took 15% away from all of his stuff, he's still probably in the 75-80 range and then climbing. So we might be... I don't know, I'd probably rest Middleton for one more ball game, unless they come out and they're like, oh, Chris is going to play 24 minutes in our next game, which, when the hell is that, Wednesday? Bucks go, are the Bucks on Wednesday? Who's Yeah, they're hosting Denver on Wednesday. 
If we get word that the, that Middleton's going to go 24 minutes in that game, I'd probably start him. If they say nothing about his game, his minutes limit, I think I keep him bunched because I would assume that his 16-ish, which is what this last ball game was, probably goes up to about 20 in that next ball game. I think Middleton, you probably see go up by three or four minutes per game. Uh, so we might be two games away from Chris being startable, where with Jonathan Isaac, we're probably still like two weeks instead of two games or like two weeks away from uh, possibly being startable. Anything else in this Milwaukee-Detroit game? Absolutely. Hello, Jalen Duran. I think we have a ton of Jalen Duran. I'm not always out in front of stuff. There are a few guys. DeLon Wright, I lagged a little bit behind here lately. Uh, there have been guys this year where I've lagged a little bit behind. I'm mad at myself that I lagged a bit on uh, Mark Williams and some Roto and Keeper formats. Jalen Duran, we were all over it. Like, the second he moved into the starting lineup, we got out there on social, on the pod, and we said, add. Do it now. This is the kind of changing of the guard in Detroit. Uh, and Duran's been awesome. We've actually seen his defensive stats tick up a little bit here lately. I don't know if that's something that's going to stick. I'm assuming the answer is no on that front. But he is a rebounding Goliath. A rebounding Goliath. You can see very quickly uh, what guys are able to excel at. He's going to be a field goal percent guy. He's a rebounding monster. You've seen his free throw percent actually come back towards the, like, closer to 70 that it was in college as opposed to, like, the, what was he? It was when he around, like, 50 earlier this year. So he's not a true punt free throw guy. He's probably going to be high 60s, which will hurt you, but it won't break you. I know what you're thinking. What about, like, a Rudy Gobert who's in that high 60s range? Well, Gobert tends to take, like, five to seven free throws a game. I don't think Duran's going to be getting the line nearly that often. Because, I mean, his stuff is all going to be uncontested dunks. Like, it won't be people around. I'd love to see more steals and blocks out of Duran. And maybe things do continue to trend that way. But honestly, at this point, I sort of don't care. He got dropped in a lot of spots because they had a one-game week and because he was dealing with the ankle stuff. Uh, so he's actually out there in some fantasy leagues, which boggles the mind, but is true. No Killian Hayes for Detroit. I wouldn't read too much into what went on in the backcourt of yesterday's ballgame. Uh, no Isaiah Stewart in yesterday's game either. No that doesn't change the way I feel about Jalen Duran. He's the center on that team. Stewart's been playing power forward. When Stewart's back, my fear is that Sadiq Bey probably goes back to not quite doing enough. But we know Boyan Bogdanovich is on the trade block. If he gets moved out, then Bey probably locks in at least like points league value and you know maybe head-to-head -head leagues where you need scoring and a little bit of rebounding and threes and stuff like that. I don't know that Bay ever holds full Roto-level value the rest of the way. Bobby Portis uh, left with knee soreness for Milwaukee. I wouldn't read too much into it. This game was a blowout early. Um, he's, he's already, I think, listed as questionable. If he does miss any time, it'll be relatively little. This is a blowout again early, so don't read too much into the minutes for the Milwaukee regulars. Now, before I get to the next ballgame on the board, we did just get another tweet from Shams about KD stating that there's optimism that he'll be back before the All-Star break and that he can then play in the All-Star game. So Durant, look, say what you want about KD. Uh, he loves playing basketball, man. I, I just, 
I really like that about him. He's goofy on Twitter, and it seems like sometimes he's a little bit sensitive about stuff, but dude loves hooping. And that's really, that's good for the NBA. The fact that Kevin Durant wants to be playing is good for the NBA. He's been playing in back-to-backs this year. I don't know if they're going to let him coming back from this injury, but damn it, he's going to try. Uh, he's good for basketball, the way he approaches it. LeBron is kind of the same thing. He tries to play in every ball game if he can. These guys that are just like, nah, screw that rest stuff. I get it. Some dudes need it. You know, Kawhi's got this neurodegenerative thing going on, but there are so many guys that are just like, meh, tired. Play, man. If you're not in altitude and you're not getting into a city at like four in the morning, just try to play. Regardless, this is, again, I, I think lends some sort of credibility to our, not prediction necessarily, but hope that KD is back between the four and five week mark. Uh, from his original injury, which would be another two to three. Because two weeks from now would be right around the trade deadline. Three would be the week between the deadline. No, that's the week that the All-Star break starts, actually. My mistake. The All-Star break starts a week after the deadline. So that would be the five-week mark. Uh, So Shams report, this optimism that they're speaking of uh, is saying, well, we hope he's back between the four and five-week mark. So that's kind of what I was hoping for earlier in the show. Uh, all right, let's dive into the next ball game. Houston beat Minnesota 119-114. Second 40-burger this week for Jalen Green. If he's starting to get things turned around, he could be a, a pretty fun player to own, especially on the head-to-head side down the stretch. I think the more interesting stuff from this ball game is actually Tari Eason. Now, I realize this is entirely because of the... And for both of these guys, frankly is largely because Kevin Porter Jr. is out. And then for Eason, Jabari Smith Jr. is out. That's sort of floating him as well. Um, but Eason's a fantasy juggernaut. We, we've seen it. like it, the, it, It's there. The outlines of fantasy value are so very clear with him. When he gets minutes, he gets steals, he gets blocks, he gets rebounds, his percentages are not atrocious, which is saying something because, you know, young dude uh, shooting almost 80% at the free throw line. He doesn't shoot the three ball all that much yet. He doesn't score all that much yet. But, I mean, defensive stats and rebounds, like, they're the fantasy outline with him is really nice. I don't know that it's going to happen this year is the downside to all of this because Jabari Smith Jr. is going to come back. He was their hyper lotto pick, so he's going to get to play. If Eric Gordon gets traded, it feels like K.J. Martin's the first guy to step up. Now, could he also get moved? Yeah, there's a possibility of that. I just don't know, because right now you've taken basically 60-plus minutes out of the equation, and I don't know that there's a path to that based on the regulars. Eric Gordon is the starter that could get moved at the All-Star break. Jabari Smith Jr. is not getting moved at the break, and neither is Kevin Porter Jr., If K.J. Martin gets moved, he was a guy that was coming off the bench for whatever it was, you know, 18 to 23 minutes of ballgame anyway. Maybe some of those go to Eason. You know, is it enough to get him up into the mid-20s after the break? Maybe. He's a a maybe stash for post-break. He's very much a, like, we want to be ahead of it when the opportunity's there kind of guy. But it's not that clear how soon that'll be. And that's the unfortunate reality there with Eason. For Minnesota, Rudy Gobert came back. Um, and, I mean, Minnesota is such a 
Jekyll and Hyde team, man. We've seen them. They went through a stretch where they played a little bit better. Schedule was a, a tiny bit easier for them during that stretch, but they actually played well against some slightly better teams also. Now, they're all, you know, like most teams in the NBA, they're not very good on the road, and maybe you could pin some of that on this, but this is only the Rockets' 11th win of the year. My God. So Nas Reed can be dropped. That's an easy one. Slow-mo played 12 minutes, if you're wondering why. It's because he had five fouls in 12 minutes. Just could never get it going. And frankly, that's probably why they lost this game. Because he's the guy that kind of keeps the, the wagon from falling apart at the seams with no cat, effectively. And cat, we have no idea when he's coming back. So hold on slow-mo. If you're in a league where someone was like, oh no, 12 minutes, and then punted him, pick him up. Put in a waiver claim on him because he could be doing this for another who knows how long. Chicago beat Atlanta 111-100. Good defense in this one uh, from the Bulls. They've been playing a little bit better, by the way. There was some adversity with Chicago. Things got a little ugly, but they're 6-4 and four their last 10. They've won three ball games in a row. They have a very winnable game on a back-to-back against the Pacers, a team that they are now tied in the standings with. Tonight, so Bulls have actually a kind of a relatively large ball game coming up this evening. No DeAndre Hunter is dealing with asthma symptoms, so hopefully he's okay. That can be a little bit scary. I think most of us know someone who has dealt with an asthma attack. It's it's pretty frightening. Um, but uh, no Onyeka Okongwu in this game either. So a lot of Clint Capella. He won't play 36 minutes every ball game, but Okongwu can be dropped in most formats because he's back to being a backup. Just be ready in case Capella ever has to miss a ball game, because you know he's a dunkmeister, Okongwu is, every time that opportunity presents itself. I maintain that Bogdan Bogdanovich can claw his way inside the top 100. He's not that far out of it. He continues to have poor shooting games, but he also continues to get enough shots and sort of ball-handling responsibilities to get to that mark. The Hawks just seem like kind of a little bit of a sickly team this year. I know they, too, actually had been playing a little bit better, mostly because Trey Young had been playing a little bit better. The Hawks are uh, not as bad on the road as most teams, but they didn't look it in this one. You know, they just need a better game from Trey Young. He'd been better lately. This one, he wasn't that great. 13 assists is fine, but... Like, Clint Capella was kind of the only reliable dude on the team in this one, so... No massive adjustments. Uh, Bogdan got dropped in a bunch of spots. I've, I've picked him up in a few places. Uh, head-to-head, I see no reason not to just play him most ball games. I know he sits on some back-to-backs. Roto, I've got him on my bench. Uh, when he warms up, that's the time. Alex Caruso's kind of an interesting name on the other side. I know Patrick Williams is probably going to get more of the headlines because he had a double-double at 18 and 10. But Caruso, with four more defensive stats, these guys are just so close to consistent fantasy value. I just know, we've all been there a million times. The second the second you pick up a guy like Patrick Williams or Caruso is the day that they give you uh, four points, three rebounds, and a steal. You just know it's coming. Ah, man, I just... I. Caruso was a monster when DeRozan was out. I don't think the Bulls are blowing this thing up at the trade deadline. They are in the 10 seed right now, and again, they've been playing better than 
probably two of the teams in front of them, so maybe they could even get like a home court on a play-in tournament or something like that. There isn't a long way for them to go beyond that spot, uh, but to me, it still would take DeRozan or Levine kind of getting out of the way for Caruso or Patrick Williams to have consistent fantasy value. You're going to get these games every once in a while where they look good, and then you're going to get the opposite side of it where it's like untenably low and uncomfortable. But it's so close. And when guys are so close like that, I guess the term we typically use is schedule streamer. Play them when the schedule is good. Utah beat Charlotte. This was a pretty easy one. Mark Williams had five defensive stats for the Hornets, who just couldn't get anything to drop offensively. Dennis Smith Jr. is a guy I, I thought about dropping in a few spots, and then I ended up hanging on to him because he was shooting poorly, and it felt like that was a number that was going to sort of positively regress. And that's kind of what happened here. He still got 29 minutes. He shot the ball better, so 15 points, 9 assists. The only thing he didn't do was get the defensive stats, which is usually the thing for DSJ that's locked in. So I'm holding on to him. I still think Gordon Hayward is... I think Gordon Hayward might just be at the end of his NBA career. I don't know what happened, but he's been so bad this season, and it's just continued. And I know that like, there's still analysts that are saying he needs to be held on to, and that's fine. I strongly disagree. He's been... He's been terrible. He's been terrible. Uh, so I think you can move on on the Hayward front. But it is nice to see that uh, Dennis Smith Jr. still got enough playing time in this one. Um, and I'm holding on to him in a few spots where, again, I need assist defensive stats. That's going to be the, the sort of tip of the spear with him. And then you hope that he can get you like a dozen points or something. Because the opportunity's there as long as LaMelo's out. Utah, um, no huge surprises there. Walker Kessler's minutes down a bit. He had five fouls in 22 minutes. You can pin a little bit at least on that. Markinen, Conley looked good again. Lower assists, but I like that he's taking more shots. That's been a big thing for me. And then basically everybody else is in schedule stream zone. Vanderbilt, Beasley, Sexton. These guys are all schedule plays. I am curious what happens when Kelly Olynyk comes back. I think you probably see Beasley go back to the bench uh, and, and Olynyk play now power forward instead of center, where he and kind of Vanderbilt were interchangeable in that starting five. Now it'll probably be Olynyk and Kessler. Portland beat San Antonio 147-127. This was the, the cakewalk game. I thought maybe... I thought maybe the Blazers would make an adjustment to their starting five since you knew a win was coming. Uh, they didn't. And a win came anyway. And Nurkic bounced back after uh, that terrible game against the Lakers. Spurs is the side you're kind of paying more attention to here. They've started to bubble wrap Jakob Pertl. Yes, he had 5,016 minutes, but he's not going to play over about 24 minutes right now. Um, the interesting note in this one is that Zach Collins only played 22 of the remaining, what it would have been, 32-ish Center minutes. Uh, Gorgie Jang played six. Isaiah Roby played a handful uh, of what I think ended up kind of being center minutes in the game as well. Some of it was blowout stuff. I, you know, here's the thing. Zach Collins has become a little bit of a polarizing trade deadline stash. Largely because, and accurately, mind you, his upside as a full-time starter caps out at probably about the 80 range. 
he doesn't have the fantasy game to be like a top 50 guy the way that Jakob Pertl does because Pertl, big time field goal percent, rebounds, steals, blocks, all that good stuff. Collins probably gets you field goal percent. He's a better shooter than Pertl, but the rebounds will be lower. The blocks will be lower. Uh, free throw shooting will be better, obviously. The, the turnovers will be a little bit higher. He just doesn't have as fantasy-friendly a game. I still think that Jakob Pertl is maybe the most likely big man to get moved at the trade deadline because of how clear it is that his team is tanking his contract situation uh, and that the Spurs are kind of at the front end of a rebuild here. As opposed to, and this is sort of a weird thing to say, but like, Mason Plumley, who's also at the end of his contract, but on a Hornets team that was in the play-in last year. And we know when that Hornets team is healthy, they're basically a round play-in level. Because LaMelo's good, and Rozier's been pretty good, Hayward's been awful, but you know they'll bring in some young guys that can kind of fill those spots. They might want to retain Plumley, and the best way to do that is to have him finish out the season there. So I don't know that he's a lock to get moved necessarily in the way that it does kind of feel like Pirtle. Like, there's no point at all in San Antonio hanging on to him. With Pirtle, you just, like, take what you get because they're very much at the front end of this rebuild. Where with the Hornets, this might be kind of a one-off. Rockets are still in tank mode. Pistons are still in tank mode. So, I mean, those are the teams where you look at the veterans a little bit more, etc. Is there anything else to do with this Spurs team? Uh, I mean, Jeremy Sohan had a better ball game here, but I still don't like his fantasy game, so I'm pretty much leaving the rest of it alone. And then Sacramento blew out the uh, zombie Grizzlies. They were resting Ja and Steven Adams for this one. Dylan Brooks uh, left a little bit early. He played most of the ballgame before taking off, so that one really didn't have an impact. Xavier Tillman got the start, I think mostly because starting Brandon Clark against Amanis Sabonis, he would have just gotten swallowed in that ballgame. And Tillman had a decent fantasy line. I don't expect this to continue. Steven Adams almost never misses more than one game in a row. And then on the jaw side, it's very much a one-to-one thing with uh, Tyus Jones. For Sacramento, Trey Lyles had one of his big bench explosion games. Uh, came at the expense of Kevin Herter in this one. But that stuff kind of comes and goes a little bit. You're not adding Trey Lyles. He's not nearly consistent enough. If you wanted to play him in like a 16-teamer when the Kings have a back-to-back, that's totally fine with me. But 12-teamers, uh-uh. And, hey, look who got good. Uh, what are we now? Three October, November, November, December, January. Three months into the season, Trey Lyle or uh, Keegan Murray. Excuse me. Rebounds continue to trend up for Murray. The efficiency continues to trend up for Murray. He's still not doing much besides just through the three ball, but he had twenty points and five threes, so it's kind of hard to argue with that. And that's why, remember. In November and early December, I said this is the time if you want to buy low on him because it's the same. Thing. Our medium-term memory as a society is such dog do. Rookies suck at the beginning. Paolo Boncaro got off to kind of a quick start this year, so he wasn't in full suck mode to start the year, but a lot of the other ones were. And then they slowly figure it out. And now with Murray, he's in the enviable spot of being on a team that's built offensively very nicely. So his looks are going to be better. It's going to be easier for him to settle into that better efficiency that we kind of knew was going to be coming. I'd love to see him get a couple buckets closer to the hoop. Relying on three-pointers this heavily does create a big gap in how your shooting numbers can look on any given night. Uh, 
but he, I mean, you can see it. Every two weeks, he's gotten better, and this is why you buy low on rookies six weeks into the season. Let some jag do the drafting and become disappointed over the first month and a half to two months, and then you get to pick up the pieces at a bargain rate. Every damn year. Same thing. Every damn year. Okay, let's turn our attention to the upcoming slate. The I, I love that, that this week so far has been um, much more balanced. That's so much better. This is actually the Wednesday card. Whoopsies. Got to go through and switch my browser window. There's the Tuesday card. Uh, here's what we're looking at tonight, what we're watching for. Chicago at Indiana. The Bulls on the back-to-back here. The, I mean, this is a ball game that's actually relatively important for Chicago, and Indy's been slumping. I'm totally fine with moving on from Andrew Nemhard. I think if you if there isn't another juicy streamer out there, you can hang on to him. But TJ McConnell has ended up really pushing out in front in that battle. Uh, Nemhard more like a schedule stream level numbers as a fill-in here. Uh, Boston at Miami. Curious who plays for the Celtics in that one. Um, Al Horford's resting. Marcus Smart is out. Jalen Brown just got ruled out. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon... Still out for personal reasons. So the Celtics really are cut down to their prime. We don't know about Robert Williams yet. That's the big question mark right now. He's still the one that's kind of hanging in the balance. If he plays, obviously you play him. If he doesn't, Grant Williams almost becomes a must-play guy in that scenario. Because that would mean both Horford and Robert Williams and Jalen Brown out. I don't know who's going to score. I mean, Jason Tatum's going to have to put up 60 by himself if he's playing in this game. Or maybe Boston just sits this whole thing out. They might just rest everybody. At which point, yeah, then you're going Derek White. You're going Grant Williams. You probably go Peyton Pritchard in a game like that. This becomes a real interesting streamer zone for Boston. Miami, uh, there was a report that came out that the the Heat want Kyle Lowry to, to shoot more. So, cool. That would be great if that actually happens. I'm good with holding Lowry and Victor Oladipo. Cleveland, uh, nothing. They're nothing, because Donovan Mitchell's supposed to make his return here, so uh, nothing. Knicks, Emmanuel Quickly to me is the only question mark with uh, with New York. If Quickly plays, then you don't play Jericho Sims. If Quickly sits, you can, I think, play Sims. Denver is all about whether or not Nikola Jokic plays. Michael Porter Jr. has already been ruled out, so Bruce Brown is startable. If Jokic sits as well, you could stream Zeke Naji. Pelicans. Brandon Ingram got upgraded to doubtful. Sometimes you see guys get upgraded to doubtful and then play, so there is, I'd give it like a 20% chance we see Ingram tonight. He hasn't been ruled out yet, as of now, but that still means it's an 80% chance he's not playing and then comes back for the next one, probably. Uh, if Ingram comes back, I would consider benching almost all of my other streamers just to see what happens. Even though Ingram's probably only going to play like, probably like with Middleton, like about 16 minutes when he first comes back. They're not going to, they're not going to push him too hard. So Trey Murphy, probably still safe. Herb Jones, maybe still safe. It's all going to get a little bit messy in New Orleans here over the next two to three games for them. Wizards, I'd love to see what they look like with no Rui and injured Kristaps Porzingis. Daniel Gafford, in my estimation, is a play. Denny Avdia is sort of right on the edge. We talked about it yesterday. 
without ball handling duties, I'm much less excited about Avdia. And Monte Morris and Bradley Beal and Dillon Wright, speaking of, add Dillon Wright. Those guys have the ball handling responsibilities for this team, so they don't really need Avdia to do it. For Dallas, we've seen there really isn't a good Christian Wood fill-in. It's more shots for Dinwiddie and Tim Hardaway Jr., and just even more for poor Luka to try to do. Charlotte, we just talked about them. I actually think Dennis Smith Jr. is still a pretty decent stream. He's like a one-hamburger guy, if you're referring to my Twitter threads. Um, nothing else so much with Charlotte. Phoenix, uh, does, how does Cam Johnson look is really the question for me there. I, I, you know, we, you saw the Rusty game last time out after the Adrenaline game. We talked about that earlier in the podcast. I expect Cam to look just a kind of a little bit better, like every two to three games, so hopefully a little bit better in this one. Uh, and then, you know, Chris Paul being back changes things for that team pretty dramatically, just kind of in terms of how he makes them function. DeAndre Ayton is expected to miss this ballgame. He's listed as doubtful right now with uh, with the flu. Um, you know, that, that probably just means that Dario Saric is like kind of head-to-head streamable, not good enough for Roto. Kind of the same story for me on Torrey Craig with Phoenix. I, I don't, I'm not going to do a lot of dumpster diving with them. Now that Cam Johnson's around to take a bunch of shots and Chris Paul uh, and Mikael Bridges, it's about as far as I'd go on the Roto side. And then the marquee game of the night, it was supposed to be Boston-Miami, but the Celtics are sitting everybody. And then it might have been Denver-New Orleans, but they might miss everybody, is Clippers and Lakers. This one became a fun one. Both teams playing better lately. Clippers had been slumping. They've won a couple in a row. Lakers have actually been playing relatively well uh, for a while now. Their losses have all been by the skin of their teeth. This is a huge game for the Lakers because right now they're a game back of the Thunder, Warriors, and Timberwolves to jump from 11th all the way up to 9th. And they're only two games back of the Clippers. Clippers are good at home and on the... Well, not as good, actually, at home and on the road. Uh, this is technically a road game, but it's in their home building. The thing about the Clippers is that they can defend, typically. Matchup-wise, the Clippers are one of the worst matchups in basketball for the Lakers because the Lakers don't have wings. They've got Troy Brown Jr. and then Juan Toscano Anderson, who should... I mean... I love the kid. Seems like one of the nicest dudes in the NBA, but he probably should be more of a mop-up kind kind of guy. How do you stop Kawhi and Paul George with the Lakers personnel? LeBron is probably going to have to do some of it, but he's not very fast these days, which means he's probably going to have to deal with Kawhi, who's not really beating people off the dribble, but with strength, typically. I don't think the Lakers want LeBron dealing with Kawhi all game long. So then you put Troy Brown on Paul George. Do you use Pat Beverly on... I don't know, George, he's not tall enough. And then on the other side, the Clippers can defend because they've got Kawhi and PG to deal with LeBron and just kind of a big body behind them in Zubats to go get those rebounds. The Lakers have been struggling in that element. I don't know in this ballgame from a handicapping standpoint. I don't know. Uh, Thomas Bryant is probably going to have to be in there because they're going to need him badly on the boards to deal with Zubats, who's likely too big for Wendy and Gabriel. Uh and then the Lakers are going to have to do a good job of trying to keep people in front of them. So do I stream Thomas Bryant? I'd say slight lean to yes, because I think they need his size more than they need Gabriel's ability uh, 
to move laterally. The Clippers are not what you'd call kind of a traditional pick-and-roll team. The pick-and-roll they run is usually to get a switch and then let Paul George or Kawhi go ISO. So they might do that with Thomas Bryant, get him on one of those guys and let them as isolate. Does that force the Lakers to go small with like a LeBron and then Zubats picks on them? To me, this is a bad matchup for the Lakers, but you, they're they're in a pick-your-poison spot, and that's why it's so hard for me to make the call on Thomas Bryant. Do they leave him in there for the rebounds, or do they yank him out so that they can switch a pick-and-roll a little bit better? We'll find out. Maybe that's 24 minutes apiece. Slightest of leans towards starting him, um, but also when I get nervous, when I'm when I'm on the fence about a guy, I almost always flip back to not doing so. Uh, so that's what's coming up tonight. Should be a fun one. Thank you, as always, uh, for listening, everybody. We can go on and get this get this uh, recorded side wrapped up. As always, uh, if you're listening to the recorded podcast, I would say come join us on the live side tomorrow. We'll have another one tomorrow on the live side. You can hang out. You can chat in the YouTube chat room. You can hit me with questions that I answer at the end of the show. You get to see my ugly mug. You get to see the box scores and, and the upcoming games as I'm talking about them. There's a lot of fun reasons to hang out with us over on YouTube. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you guys over there. So to the recorded listeners, I say, love you guys. Thank you, as always, for tuning in here to Fantasy NBA Today. Please do whatever you can to help us spread the word, whether that's a retweet or a like or telling a buddy, anything. I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter as well. Uh, and we will talk to you guys tomorrow to recap the Tuesday games and, and break it all down again. So long.